You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic physician, lecturer, author, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. Do you have hay fever allergy symptoms such as sneezing, itchy eyes, and runny nose, but instead of it being seasonal, such as in springtime, they're all year round? Huh? Now, are you achy, you got joint pain, muscle issues, you're getting forgetful and now feeling tired all the time, but your blood tests look completely normal and your internist can't find a single thing wrong with you. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, listen in because your symptoms may be due to mold exposure. Today on Wellness for Life, we have my good friend, Dr. Jill Carnahan, a functional medicine and mold expert, and she's here to steer you in the right direction so you can start feeling better today. Ah. So great to have you here, Dr. Jill. You know how much I love you and your work. <laughs> oh, it is so mutual. I was looking forward to this for the whole week, Dr. Zan, <laughs> so I'm glad to be here with you. You bet, you bet. You know what? Before I, you know, we dive into mold and, and what we can do to help our body and our brain feel better, can you share a little bit about how you got interested in functional medicine, integrative medicine? Because I'm always curious how, you know, doctors, doctors in the allopathic medical mainstream gets inspired to become mavericks in the the fields outside of that that typical medical model. Yeah, so I will be brief, but I'll tell you the story. You know, I was born to overcome, and beyond, uh, unbeknownst to me, I had a lot ahead of me when I started medical school. I remember actually um, looking at applying to um, naturopathic medicine and chiropractic school and all the kinds of uh, systems that I actually, um, my belief was very holistic from the beginning. I knew that our bodies were created to heal and that if we gave them the proper diet, sunlight, energy, attention, and stress relief that we could flourish. Um, but what I realized very early is uh, our system is still dominantly allopathic. And I thought if I kind of infiltrate the system, I'd get the most done to change the way we do medicine. So I, from a very young age, knew that I wanted to do things differently and to kind of show people that it could be done in a different way. So I ended up going to Loyola Medical School. And unbeknownst to me, I had um, a sudden diagnosis of cancer in my third year at the age of 25. So I had a very aggressive breast cancer all of a sudden. Um, during my surgical rotation, I found a lump and was soon diagnosed with cancer. And my world just kind of really changed at that point because I realized, wow, you know, here I am thinking I'm in my 20s, kind of invincible, and I'm dealing with a life-threatening illness. And I uh, took everything in me to study and learn and grow through that experience. And what I did was a lot of conventional treatments, but on the side, I really learned how to restore balance and how to heal the body. I feel like part of the three-drug chemo, multiple surgeries, radiation, all the intensive um, conventional therapy uh, caused a lot of damage. In hindsight, the cancer was easy to overcome compared to all of those uh, treatments and chemicals and things. Now, I owe my life to them, but I learned so much of how to restore normal function and balance and heal the body from the insults of those chemicals and those things that I had to go through in the years after that. So that's really been my journey is overcoming cancer. A year after the cancer, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And so again, battle for my life. So I really ended up learning this inflammatory genetics and detoxification that led to cancer. And then I also ended up learning the gut really well. All that to say was doing great till I got to Boulder. And in Boulder, Colorado, I ended up having a massive mold issue in my office. And so once again, I was uh, very ill from that, but I had to find a way to overcome it. And so I learned everything I could do to know about mold and to help my patients overcome it. And it's really, like you said, it's a hidden thing not many people know about because it's symptoms that can masquerade as other things. 
God, what amazing stories. I mean, you know what? I know you personally, so I know your story. But, you know, so many people out there go go through their own issues and inspire, you get the inspiration from your own issues so you can help others. That was really about my son. You know, I didn't go into uh, natural medicine and environmental medicine because obviously because I wasn't, you know, driven towards it. It was really because of my son and I needed to help save his life. So we do amazing things. And thank goodness that you found the way because you're sharing and you're helping not only patients, but doctors all around the world to get better at being uh, someone who can be a facilitator in healing of health. So let's dive into that mold because you know what? Some of these mold, I, I see a lot of mold patients too, and they're super insidious. It just creeps in and you don't even know. So let's talk about some of the yeah. symptoms and some of these hidden symptoms, sure. hidden s- symptoms like that's just not obvious. Yeah, so most of the time, if you have a mold-related illness, uh, at least unless you know about it, you're going to present to the doctor with a stomach ache or bacterial overgrowth in your small bowel, gas and bloating and diarrhea or constipation. You might present with brain fog. We even, um, Dale Bredesen, who does some of the work with reversing Alzheimer's, says about one-third or 30% of his patients um, have a mold-related component of the Alzheimer's disease. So this is very profoundly effective on the brain. So people will have difficulty finding words or trouble with problems processing new information or remembering names, and they'll they'll feel like they have early dementia. Um, Other things that are affected are the sinuses. This is the area where you talked about allergies and congestion and respiratory symptoms. The lungs especially are vulnerable to the mold toxins. So some patients will present with new onset asthma or shortness of breath. I presented with, um, I have stairs in my old office and I had gone up and down the stairs with patients all day long and all of a sudden I was getting short of breath going up two flights of stairs and I had previously, you know, run half marathons and, you know, pretty good shape. So this was very new. That was one of my first signs the red itchy eyes, the sinus congestion, and then I had skin rashes. Those are very common. There's a histamine component to mold. So often mold will activate the mast cells in the histamine system in your body. So anything like allergies or asthma or inflammatory skin conditions can present along with mold as well. And then some lesser known things that I think are kind of funny and interesting, people can have electric, uh, electrostatic shocking, like when they touch metal objects, kind of like we do if we shuffle our feet in the winter and touch the door with a flannel nightgown. This happens all the time because what they do is they have dysregulation of the ability to hydrate and maintain hydrated. And so they're sweating a salt grating on the surface of their skin and they actually create a human battery. So I've had people present saying they break watches or computers or they shock doors or other people all the time. And that actually can be a symptom of mold exposure too. Well, that's crazy when you think about it. Breaking watches? Is that what you just said? Yeah, yeah, like watches four in a year. Well, then you know, check for mold. (laughs) Wow, that's those are such great little clues. I mean, we know you and I are like little medical detectives here because that's what you got to do. And you've got to teach your patients and just share with people, how can we really find out if we've got mold problems? What is it that we can do? Not only, I mean, obviously we got to look for it in our homes, but also how do we look for it in our body? Yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if there were only one simple mold test, we'd be, you know, millionaires. It'd be so easy. It's not that simple, but I'll give you some simple things that can be done. First of all, if you suspect in your environment, like you have a family and more than one family member has been struggling with illness, especially allergic types of conditions or brain fog or um, chronic autoimmunity or chronic infections, like uh, getting the flu and colds all the time, mold is uh, a lot of the toxins that mold produces weakens the immune system. So we'll see frequent infections. All of a sudden, someone will have a bad cold 
ulcer outbreak or shingles outbreak or fatigue from Epstein-Barr reactivating. These are all common. So the first thing is my first clue is when there's an environment when more than one pe- where more than one person is ill, that's a sign that there might be something in the environment and mold is a top um, thing that we look for. Um, once you want to test for it, you can actually test your environment with dust sampling. It's called an ERMI test, E-R-M-I, or of course you can have an inspector come. If you smell musty smells, musty smells are VOCs from mold and mycotoxins, so there is likely an issue if you already smell a musty smell when you go in your basement. But as far as testing humans, um, the things that I do in the office that are free is I'll do a screening questionnaire for some of the symptoms that I described, and if they score high, I'll go looking more on the mold spectrum, and then I'll do a visual contrast test. This can be done for free online. So visual contrast study, VCS test online for free. You can do that, you know, on your computer at home and check. Um, If you fail, it doesn't mean for sure that you have mold, but it's a possibility. So if I have someone who has a lot of symptoms plus they fail a visual contrast study, that's those are two free things that I can do and check to see if we want to walk in the doorway to look for mold. And walking in the doorway means, you know, more diagnostic tests. So we'll do a lot of inflammatory testing in the blood, and that will include things like uh, VEGF, MSH, um, TGF-beta, all these complex uh, names of things, and antidiuretic hormone and osmolality. These are all commonly checked. Uh, But an easier way now is to check urine for mycotoxins. And none of these tests by themselves indicate an exposure, but when you put them all together, along with a history of, say, I moved to a new house or a new area, or we had a water, we had a flood in our basement, and then after that, it was never the same. Those are the kind of clues that we're looking for. Great, great. You know, in in those types of cases, when they do find it in the house, I actually ask my patients to remove themselves. That's the first thing is get away from it. How about you? What do you, what's your take? Do you think people can fix it while they're living there? Oh, this is such a great question because this gets at the heart of how people get well or don't get well. When they're in the inflammatory response to mold and they're quite ill, it's extremely hard for them to get well in in an environment that's not really clean. So a couple of situations. Someone can, you know, find mold in the basement. They take out the, the wall that was affected and clean and remediate. But the bigger problem is the dust is left behind when the mold is killed. So it, when it's killed, those hyphae and spores are dispersed and that lands in the dust all over the house. It goes through your HVAC system. It impenetrates your books and your carpets and your mattress and your sheets. So the bigger problem is not just the remediation. That's the first step. But if someone has a remediation and wants to still live in that environment, they have to do a fine particulate clean and get every single thing in the house cleaned. That sounds kind of daunting, but that is the big thing I see between people who get well and don't get well. If they just remediate and they remain, and even though they have a clean house, relatively clean, dust is obviously microscopic and those dust particles of dead mold pieces left behind can really continue to cause an inflammatory reaction. So unless they get a really good job or hire someone to do the fine particulate clean, they often will not get well in that environment. You mentioned about the dust particles and the dead mold pieces. Uh, How about the mold mycotoxins, the toxins that the mold actually naturally produces, but that can be super toxic to our brain and our mitochondria, our energy um, system, et cetera. Yeah, so um, we can measure some of these. The common ones are like trichosethanes and ochratoxin and aflatoxin from different types of molds. And the reason mold is such a wide variety of symptoms is because there is literally hundreds and 
thousands of different mycotoxins produced in a water-damaged environment. And so there can be some that are neurologically toxic, so they cause numbness or tingling or weakness. There's some that are immunological toxic, so they cause um, susceptibility to infections and weak immune system. In fact, we've developed a lot of the drugs for, you know, say, transplants that suppress immune system and antibiotics, different drugs that change the immune system. We've developed many of those from molds. So a lot of the components and some of these like trichotamines are studied in, in chemical warfare because they're so toxic. So we're dealing with really toxic chemicals. And like you said, you can have someone do spore sampling in the air, but the spores themselves, they're the large particles. They're actually not so damaging as the stuff that the mold produces. And these uh, mycotoxins are often VOCs or volatile organic solvents, and they're less than 0.1 microns in size. So your typical air filtration system isn't going to touch them, and they're going to be wandering around in your air supply unless you, you know, get them cleaned up and get that house or a place that you live in completely um, in a clean uh, state. You know, uh, thanks for sharing with all that is that we really got to manage our environment um, and carefully because ultimately, even if you get rid of the, the water damage and get rid of the um, anything that's growing visibly, uh, you got to get it rechecked and, and make sure that there's nothing growing, but also you got to clean up all that dust. That's excellent. But you know what, though? Often these individuals end up having mold infection in the lungs, and one of the yeah. type is called aspergillosis. Can you touch on that yeah. a bit? You got it, because we got a couple things going on here. First of all, we got the mold most of the time creates chemicals that weaken your immune system. So if you got bit by a tick when you were five years old in New Jersey, and you're fine, but you get in a moldy environment, all of a sudden that Borrelia or Lyme might actually pop up and cause problems. If you had Epstein-Barr or mono when you were 19 in college and you're fine, um, that Epstein-Barr can reactivate and cause chronic fatigue syndrome. Or if you had chickenpox as a child, that that can reactivate and cause shingles. So sometimes you have this weakened immune system and then this reactivation, and that's part of the illness of other infections. Sometimes we have weakened immune system and things like candida or typical fungal species that we have in our gut or our sinuses. And then what you're talking about is actually colonization of the molds in our body. And that doesn't happen for everyone. Someone could be really sick without colonization, but I would say a lot of a percentage, a large percentage of the time we actually get colonization in the mucous membranes, and they're especially susceptible. So that would be your sinus cavity. Um, you can even get it in dental cavitations, so where you've had old root canals or where you might have um, space in the jaw from an old tooth that had maybe not been healthy, and you can, of course, get it in your lungs. So one of the ways we test, like I said, is urinary mycotoxins to see if you have any mold in your body producing toxins. And then typically part of the treatment, depending on the person and how they're presenting, will be di different sinus sprays or even inhaled sprays or medications that will treat the aspergillus or mold in the sinuses or in the lungs. So we can either do a nasal spray, we can do a nasal wash with antibacterial or antifungal um, components, or we can do inhaled glutathione or inhaled antifungals or antibiotics in a nebulized form. And those are all really important to treat someone who's been exposed if they have evidence of colonization. Mm. So once let's say that, okay, it's not colonized, but from the mycotoxin uh, test, the urine test, by the way, there's two of mm -hmm. them that I know of. Which one do you use uh, real time, a GPL or both? Yeah. So there's three companies out here. Real time oh, labs no, has been around the longest. 
Yeah, so so they're fantastic. Um, cost had been a, a, the higher end in the past, so I didn't always go to them just purely for cost. I find them to be very sensitive because they use a LISA. So um, if you find a positive, you know it's probably a very real positive. Then Great Plains came along and they have the Mycotox test, also a fantastic test. They upgraded technology um, to a little bit better so they're more sensitive. So then the question is, is are we oversensitive? Are we catching things from food? Um, I would say an average I get more positives on the Great Plains test and it's quite affordable, I think around $300. But there's a new kit on the block. Vibrant Labs has a new mycotoxin test as well. Um, and I found that to be also, they use a, a even uh, more accurate technology. And so it's it's when there's a positive, it's definitely there. But again, I'm trying to compare because none of these have been out long enough to really know side by side, how do they work? I've used all of them. They're all good. But we actually have three players that we can get mycotoxin testing from. And they're slightly different cost range as well, between $300 and $700. You know what? I'm not going to give you a fourth. I just realized as we're talking about the different labs, I was at uh, Aristo Vojani's uh, lecture here yeah. in LA, and there was a doctor, Dr. Andrew Campbell, that just came out with yeah. one called My Myco Lab. I have not done it yet, but apparently there's that one more. <laughs> so I'm going to have to check that yeah, one out. Yeah, let me see. tell you, there's a. Yeah, me too. So that's the one I didn't mention that because we have basically these first three, they're different technologies to detect actual mold toxin in the urine. And again, sensitivity goes up from real time to Great Plains to vibrant. Um, So we might have more false positives with vibrant, but when we but not so many false negatives, period. Okay, so then there's this my mycotox. This is actually antibodies in the blood to mycotoxins. So it's a completely different type of lab. And again, I think these are all valuable. I'm planning to use them all, but the time will tell which ones really correlate the best with clinical, you know, symptoms and things. Because this brand new one is a completely different technology. It's testing the blood and it's testing antibodies. Now, my big concern, kind of like tick-borne infection testing, is antibodies in some people are so low because their immune system is kind of trashed that I think sometimes this testing might not be valid in someone who has suboptimal IgG or IgA or other immune pieces. That's such a good point. Also, it could be that actually at the moment that you're, because real time and all that is about what are the mycotoxins in your body at that moment. But with antibodies, it may be that you're you're either high or low and you might not be exposed to it anymore, but your immune response is still there. Isn't that correct? Exactly. Exactly. So that's the thing, like you and I, we have to be good clinicians because we take into account all this data and then say, well, how does this actually apply to you? Which is a little hard for your listeners or people trying to do it on their own because they're trying to figure it out. Um, but gosh, if you have the opportunity to get some functional doctor on board, like Suzanne, Dr. Suzanne and I, um, it really does help you to navigate because this is difficult stuff. That's right. And often, as you said earlier, there are other complications. You might have viral infections. You might have tick-borne disease. You know, you might actually have nutrient mm-hmm. di- nutrient dysfunction yeah. or nutrient deficiencies. And that and of alone, if you've got glutathione deficiency, your mitochondria is not working properly, then how are we going to get those mycotoxins out, right? So it's super important that exactly. you do get all the details and find someone who can really look at the whole holistic uh, realm and then treat it properly. For the treatment itself, there's so many various types. What are the, uh, what are the main ones that are the natural formulations that you can use yeah. for uh, sure. mold tox- toxicity? 
You got it. So in general, I would say, I love that you say natural because most people can get well without prescription medications. Um, once in a while, we will compound some of the nasal sprays or things, but there are natural alternatives to all of this. And I've seen people get well without any prescription medications. So don't feel like you have to do it with prescriptions. Um, in fact, most of the time it's better without. So some of the main things are we have to go back to get out of the exposure because if someone's in an ongoing dusty situation where there's mold exposure, I can give them all the supplements, all the detox support in the world, and they won't get better. So I hate saying that because it's so hard when you have a home and you have expensive remediation and stuff. But really and truly, um, if you have a lot of mold exposure, it will be nearly impossible to get well in that situation. So you have to get out of the exposure first. But then once you do or while you're doing it, you can start treatment. And I find glutathione, it's the main system in our body that helps detoxify all kinds of chemicals from heavy metals to, um, you know, pesticides to mold. And mold is something in particular that really trashes your detox system and depletes glutathione. So almost universally, patients who've had mold exposure will have low glutathione and very poor ability to detoxify, which is exactly what they need to get well. So liposomal forms of glutathione are really a, a cornerstone of treatment. There are some people like me that don't do great on, on glutathione, and you can also give the precursors. So in that case, I would give glycine, glutamine, lipoic acid, N-acetylcysteine, vitamin C. You'd give a slew of other things that can help your body to create glutathione. You also want to support methylation, which is part of the pathway that makes glutathione, and that can be with just B vitamins and TMG and uh, some of those kinds of things. Then on the other side, you want to get binders on board because you need to get these toxins out of your body. And one of the best ways we can do that is typically these toxins are modified by phase one and phase two in the liver, and then they're thrown out into the bile and stored in the gallbladder. The bile squirts out with our meals to help emulsify fats, but it also stores toxins. So typically our body just recirculates about 95% of that bile. But in the mold cases and the cases like what I went through, what we want to do is grab onto that bile and grab onto things that are in the toxic load in the gut and pull them out. How we do that is binders. So binders are really a core of detoxification from mold, and there's various natural binders that work really well. I use a lot of charcoal. I use a lot of clay. I use a lot of zeolite, silica, uh, pectisol. There's a bunch of different things you can use, and they're all effective. And I tend to find that when you combine binders, they work better because each of them have a slightly different affinity for different toxins. So when you do a, a binder slurry of different things, you can do them the same time of the day. Usually it's twice a day dosing away from food or beverage or supplements, and that will really help to bind the toxic load out of the body. Fantastic. I mean, binders, I, there's one binder that I've used. It's really, uh, it's a natural source as well. And it comes from a root called the cognac root, cognac root, if you want to call it. Oh, yeah. And um, that has a tendency to bind to mycotoxins. I, that's what I'm finding. And even heavy metals. It's been used in the past for cholesterol binding and um, uh, similar yeah. to like cholestyramine, but it does have a, as, have a good binding effect. And, um, of course, this is all in the gut, in the gut. And but, yes. uh, you mentioned earlier with the glutathione and the other types of water solubles, they, they will go through the kidneys. So kidneys are important to also support as well as the yes. gut and liver with the binding. That's fantastic. And the last thing that I want to ask is about um, utilizing saunas. Do they have any impact and will it help anyone with mycotoxicity or mold toxicity? Yes. Oh, yes. So we try to think about supplements and stuff. We do a lot of that in functional medicine, but really a core piece of detox in mold-related illness is 
sweating and detoxification methods, and some of those would include infrared sauna is probably my absolute number one favorite. Love it. Huge fan. I helped uh, heal myself with the infrared sauna. I still do it every week. Um, also, uh, Epsom salt baths, another really gentle way to enhance detoxification. You absorb the mag sulfate, and it helps with detox. Dry brushing and hydrotherapy, which is a hot, cold, alternating water therapy, um, colonics or coffee enemas, all of these things we've learned in allopathic medicine from the naturopathic world, but they're absolutely critical to detox. And you don't have to do all of them, but some of those can be super helpful. Fantastic. Oh my God. You're so like full of amazing information. Thank you so much, Dr. Jill. It was a pleasure talking to you. I wish I could talk to you another hour here. Oh, wow. Great information. So listen, everyone, you know what? If you know anyone who's got mold exposure, you know that they're having these weird symptoms, you know, get them into Dr. Jill's site. And I know, right, her website is called jillcarnahan.com. Jillcarnahan.com. There you'll be able to even find a digital copy of the information that's called Exposed to Mold, Now What? And of course, that link is going to be on my radio page. So you can go there and take a look at it. If this is your first time listening, you know, subscribe and also connect with me on Instagram at Dr. Suzanne. I post regularly on how to become the best version of yourself. And, and of course, I will answer all of your specific comments personally. And if you need to help to dig deeper with your health issues, I work personally globally through phone and Skype consultations. So you can get my contact info on my website, drsuzanne.com. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today, full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.